All right, good morning, ladies. We're going to have a multimedia extravaganza this morning. We've got paper, and we've got whiteboard, and we've got, um, what's that one called? The projector? Yep. Um, we're going to do a little bit more in um, Google Earth today. Um, if you had a chance to do the homework this week, you saw um, that a lot of what we're going to talk about in this week's passage from Galatians 1.11 through 24, Paul's referencing um, things that happened to him from the book of Acts. So um, I thought it would be good for us to spend a couple minutes trying to kind of align the two narratives so that we can see how things fit together. So if you would take out your Bible and let's open to Galatians chapter 1. I'm just going to start by reading through the text, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in Google Earth before we move on to other things, okay? Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. All right, so we are going to look at where does Paul start? Where does this narrative start? Okay, so if you want to be able to follow along in your map that's at the end of your workbook, feel free to do that. I think all the places that we're going to reference except for Arabia are on your map. Okay, um, and then also if you're a notes taker, I don't have a handout for you this week, but there is a page in your workbook, page 50, where you can take notes from this week's teaching time. So just FYI for that. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So we start our story in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 7, verses 58 through chapter 8, verse 3, which is aligning with Galatians 1, 13 through 15. And I'm not going to read all the passages from Acts, because if you did your homework, you already did that. And it would take a whole lot of time, and we have a lot to cover today. So... Um, I'll just try to encapsulate what happens at each place. So in Jerusalem, you can see it down here. We have the stoning of Stephen, um, and then the church is scattered through Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles, apostles, not apostles. 
And um, Saul, who later becomes known as Paul, is ravaging the church. Okay, So this is what Paul references in verse 13 and going on. And then um, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, Paul um, goes to the high priest to get permission, these written letters, that he can go to other towns and find Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to put them in prison. Um, so verse 3 of chapter 9 of Acts says, As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. So let's travel to Damascus with Paul. Okay. All right. So a little bit about Damascus before we go into what happens next. Um, in 64 B.C., Damascus was conquered by the Roman Empire, and the Romans redesigned the shape of the city, so they made it into this rectangular city, which is very common for um, Roman colonies. Um, and so there is a, a diagram that I made for you on the whiteboard of a, a long but not very tall rectangle, usually twice as wide as it is high, and there's two main streets that run through most Roman colony towns or cities. So there's the Decumanus Maximus, which is the east-west road, which would be twice as long as the Cardo, which is the north-south road. And the Decumanus Maximus is the road that we know as Straight Street, okay? Also called the Via Recta. So it was almost a mile long. So when the Lord appears to Ananias in a vision and tells him to go find Paul, who is staying at the home of Judah on Straight Street. This is Straight Street, okay? Decumanus Maximus, okay? All right, so Paul is in Damascus. He has an encounter with the risen Lord on the way into town. And he's uh, there for some time in Judah's house, like three days, Ananias comes and prays for him. He regains his sight. Okay? So Galatians 1, 15 through 17 is what Paul is referencing for this uh, section. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, this is the event that we're talking about, Jesus being revealed to him on the road to Damascus. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Okay, so Paul is in Damascus, and he throws in this interesting little piece in verse 17 where he says, I went away into Arabia. And there is some um, discussion among commentators about what exactly does that mean and what exactly did he do and how long was he there um, and all of that is not the point that Paul's trying to make in, in this section what we know from verse 16 is that he says that um, he was called in order to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and that he did not immediately consult with anyone and so I think we can probably infer I think it's safe to infer from the text that Paul's probably already preaching the gospel in Arabia, and back to Damascus. So one other thing about Damascus, if you want to know more about the city, we talked about this the last time we did Google Earth, you can click on the picture. There's all kinds of stuff to read here. You can get linked up to a page about Damascus on Wikipedia. 
where there's lots of good pictures and lots of interesting history. So I would recommend that to you. And of course, you can see what the city looks like now you know, as you click through the pictures. So that's not for our time right now, but if you would like to do that on your own time, please do. All right, so Damascus and Arabia. I'm going to zoom out a little bit here, and let's look at how big Arabia is. Okay. This whole region that we uh, think of in our sort of political map of today as Saudi Arabia, and then there's like the little parts where Jordan and, and Lebanon and Israel, and okay. This whole region is Arabia. So it's not a super precise place that Paul's telling us that he went to, but um, Damascus is like right here, and the edge of Arabia is like right here, in Paul's time, okay? So it doesn't necessarily mean that he, you know, went all the way down to where scholars think Mount Sinai was or that he spent years wandering in the desert necessarily. It could mean that he traveled kind of close by of Damascus where he already was. So, so it's, I think it's helpful for us to remember the main point that Paul's not trying to tell us exactly where he went and all the people that he preached to, but he's giving a very broad overview to his audience of um, what he did during this time with the view of defending his apostleship, okay? Not with of giving them a history lesson. So it's important to keep this in context so we know why he's saying what he's saying. All right, so let's zoom back in. Yes, it is. It is the largest city in Syria today, and since the civil war that has destroyed Aleppo, it's also um, currently the most influential city. Okay. All right, let me see if I can find it again, because it disappeared. (laughs) There we are. So southwest corner of today's modern Syria. Okay. All right. Let's move on. So Galatians 1.17, we went from Damascus to Arabia to Damascus. So now Paul is going to go from Damascus to Jerusalem. Remember, uh, he was starting to face some persecution in Damascus. He had to escape through the wall. There's information about that on Wikipedia with pictures of things. So check it out. Um, And so then he is making his way down to Jerusalem. So let's travel with him again back down to Jerusalem. Yes. Yes. So Acts 9, 26 through 29. Yep. Thanks, Tina. I just want to make sure I've got my reference right. Sorry, the reference is 923 through 25. That's Paul's escape from Damascus. Okay? Yep, thank you. Okay, so then in verse 26, he's going to make his way to Jerusalem, and this is the short visit. This is the 15-day visit that he references in verse 18. Okay? Um, So he's there for a very short time. In those two weeks, he somehow manages to have somebody want to kill him again, 
And so he's disputing with the Hellenists and trying to, you know, um, argue for, like, Jesus is the Messiah, and so they don't like that, and his life is in danger again. And, and let's remember the context of Paul, a few years before, was creating all kinds of havoc in Jerusalem for these Christian believers, right? He was, go- he was going around trying to put them in prison. And now he's back in Jerusalem after three years, and as soon as he gets here, there's all this drama again, right? And so this isn't specifically what the text says, but I think that the apostles were probably making a wise choice to say, Paul, we love you. You need to go home, (laughs) right? So they send him back to Tarsus through Caesarea, which was a port city in Israel. So I'm not going to look up Caesarea. I'm just going to pull up Tarsus. Let's see if we can find it. Okay. We're going back to Turkey. All right. Okay. So he's in Tarsus for, for a long time. I don't have an exact number of years for you, but he's in Tarsus for a long time, growing in his faith. I'm sure he's preaching the gospel there as well. Okay. And then we see if you... Um, did this question in your homework, you see that in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas goes to find Paul, and then he brings him to Antioch, right? And so that's Galatians 1.21. Antioch is in Syria. Tarsus is in Cilicia. So when he's referring to Syria and Cilicia, these are the two cities, okay? So we're in Tarsus. We're going to travel back to Antioch, which today is Antakya. Okay. And there we go. All right. Any quick questions on that before we transition? How long would it have taken from? Um, I would say probably they're probably. Would we think they're probably sailing, or are they traveling over land? I think, I couldn't say for sure, but if they're sailing, not nearly as long <laughs> as if they're going over land. So, okay. Not long. Great. Okay, thanks. Okay. Now, we're going to transition to, I'm going to turn this off, and we're going to transition to the whiteboard. We're going to do a little bit of review. All right. So a couple of weeks ago when we did the overview, I gave um, those of you who are here a little handout about some terms that we're using. We want to talk about context today. So can somebody remind me what genre is the book of Galatians that we're studying? You can just yell it out. An epistle. Good. So what do we need to remember? Like what's that image that we have in our mind about an epistle? It's a letter, and it's like listening to one side of a phone call, right? One side of a conversation. So anytime that we're working with an epistle, you have to kind of do a little digging to figure out what are these questions that Paul is addressing, okay? All right, and then we talked about the melodic line, which is the main theme of the entire book that distinguishes it from other books of the Bible. You'll see it in a minute. I wrote on the other side of the whiteboard what the what my... Um, a melodic line that I came up with for Galatians is, so don't distort the true gospel, which is that salvation is by faith in Christ apart from works. That's my take on the melodic line. Okay? 
our historical context, remember these are the um, real life situation that his audience is facing. So the Galatian churches were being pressured to accept a gospel of Jesus plus law keeping for salvation. Okay. Biblical context, we just kind of rehearsed. Biblical context is what other parts of the Bible are being referenced in this passage. So we saw a lot from Acts, Acts 7, 8, 9, and 11, as our, as our biblical context for today. Okay, And then literary context I want to spend a minute on. Because I think that this one's really important in an epistle, and particularly in one where Paul is trying to make a logical argument. Okay. So the literary context is the passages immediately before and after the passage that we're looking at. So if you remember like our pie chart, um, it's between these two edges that today's slice fits. Okay, so I'm going to walk over there and talk loudly, and hopefully you'll hear me. Okay, so... If our literary context is this whole pie is the book of Galatians, and what we are looking at is this little black section here of verse, chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, what comes on either side of it is really important for us to know if there's a logical flow of thought, right? So in the first 10 verses, we had our greeting, and then last week, Julia shared with us I'm getting all out of order with my notes, you guys. Julia talked to us about how we saw Paul argue that any other gospel leads to death. And then in verse 10, he contrasts pleasing man with pleasing God, right? So this is kind of that beginning of the logical argument that Paul is making. So that came before our section. Um, in the next few weeks, we're going to look at chapter 2. And Paul's going to continue to recount his story by telling the Galatians about his acceptance by the apostles in Jerusalem, and then his confrontation with Peter over eating with Gentiles, and then he gets into an exp explanation of justification by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, so, so he's building this argument of what is justification by faith, which is that end piece that we get to, and so he's using some evidence along the way to say, my apostleship is credible. I'm trustworthy. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to get in between don't please man and justification by faith. So let's hold, hold that in our minds as we go forward. Okay? Um, that's it for the review. We're going to move on to looking at our text. So I'm going to flip the whiteboard. You can move to your notes page if you haven't. And I'll be right back. In blue here, is my outline for our passage today. If we want to look at Paul's argument, this is how he has it broken down from what I can glean. So he has a thesis statement in verse 11 that this is not man's gospel. And then verse 12, he starts an argument. It's not from man, it's from God. Okay? And then verses 13 through 24, is he gives all this sort of evidence supporting that argument. Um, exhibit A, verses 13 through 17, is Paul's miraculous conversion. And then Exhibit B, in verses 18 through 24, is that the Judean brothers glorified God because of Paul. Okay? So this is our outline for today's text. 
And up at the top in red, you can see the uh, melodic line that I told you about <laughs> that I started. And this is just another way of trying to divide up the information. Um, so like an alternative to the pie chart, okay? All right, so I'm gonna read through our text again, and then we'll start talking about this. And remember that we're taking pictures of these and whiteboard things, and we'll send them to you with the email. So don't wear out the muscles in your hand. Okay, all right. So back to our text again. I'm gonna read it one more time, and then we'll go. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and re remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Okay, so we've established that Paul is beginning a persuasive argument for why the Galatian churches should recognize his authority and therefore trust the gospel that he has preached to them and turn away from the false gospel which is being spread amongst them. If we think of the one-sided phone conversation image, last week the question on the other side of Paul's arguments was, Paul, weren't you just trying to please us by watering the gospel down and making it more about grace and less about keeping the law? This week's question, Paul answers in verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So Paul is contrasting man's gospel with a gospel that he preaches. But what's the question? How do we know that your gospel is the true gospel? The gospel that's from God, not man's take on the gospel. This is the question that he's answering, okay? So how does Paul answer them? Paul answers by telling them how he got the gospel. Let's read verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's the source of Paul's knowledge of the gospel? Jesus was revealed to him. He had a supernatural revelation of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. When Paul is converted in the book of Acts, we're already eight chapters past the ascension of Christ. And yet what Paul is saying here is that he saw Jesus, that Jesus was revealed to him. And Paul contrasts this revelation with the way that most of us have received the gospel through someone else who taught it to us. Okay? But Paul doesn't leave it there. 
He doesn't say something like, I got a revelation and you didn't, so you better listen to me because I'm special, <laughs> right? In fact, Paul doesn't recommend himself as special at all, does he? In verses 13 and 14, Paul uses phrases like persecuted violently, tried to destroy, and extremely zealous to describe himself prior to having Jesus revealed to him. Does that sound like the kind of person you would trust? I hope not. You can hear this, this striving and anger and like furrowed eyebrows, can't you? Um, but that's not the end of Paul's argument. In verse 15, Paul uses a word that we see a lot in his writing. Anybody guess what it is? But. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his, his son to me. So do you hear a contrast in the description of Paul's manner and God's manner here? Do you hear a contrast um, that, like, in God's manner, you can hear peace and goodness and settledness, his sovereignty, right? Um, Paul is pointing the Galatians not primarily to his own trustworthiness, but to God's goodness and his sovereignty, and therefore to his trustworthiness. Okay? So why does Paul say God called him? We see another phrase that Paul uses a lot, in order that. In verse 16, God called Paul in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So did you hear that, Galatians? God called Paul so that that law-loving, from Gentiles separating Pharisee would be transformed into a servant of Christ who loves like Christ and is compelled and joyful to preach the gospel to those Gentiles whom he wouldn't have touched with a 10-foot pole before. Paul didn't wait to hear from the other apostles to start doing what God called him for. In essence, in essence, Paul says the change in his life is exhibit A. This is the true gospel. Look at how effective God's call and revelation of Jesus was to change me from the man of works, works, works to the man who has changed to be new inside. So if Paul's supernatural revelation and miraculous conver conversion is exhibit A, then what is exhibit B for why the Galatians can trust that the gospel Paul preaches is the true gospel? Now Paul brings up Jerusalem, but not in the way that the Galatians might have wanted him to. He doesn't say that he went to Jerusalem and hashed it all out with Peter and James, and they tweaked some things together, and he went back out with his perfectly synchronized gospel. He says it was three years after his conversion three years of preaching in Damascus and Arabia before he ever went back to Jerusalem. Why? We know the story, because the last time that he was there, he was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and committing them to prison. So there was understandably great hesitation when Paul returns to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9. But good old Barnabas brought Paul to Peter and James, and Acts 9 tells us that... While Paul was there, he was going in and out among the believers, preaching boldly and disputing with the Hellenist. So does this two-week trip sound like a theological council where he's sitting around the table with Peter and, you know, getting more of the gospel? No. Paul already had the gospel revealed to him by God. 
In fact, Paul angers the Hellenists so much that they want to kill him, so the brothers in Jerusalem think it's a good idea for Paul to get out of Dodge, and they send him to Syria and Cilicia, which Paul references in verse 21. So even with two weeks of preaching boldly and creating some big drama, Paul, Paul's gone now, and the churches in the rest of Judea still have no personal relationship with him. But they've heard about his conversion and that he's now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of him. So exhibit B, Paul is not arguing um, I'm sorry, Paul is arguing not that he learned the gospel from being with the apostles in Jerusalem, but that the Jewish believers heard about his conversion and that he was preaching the faith. They identified the truth in both how he was changed and in what he was saying and doing, and they glorified God. And I would argue they glorified God for his goodness and his sovereignty in Paul's life. So, that brings us to our application for today. Paul argues to the Galatians that only faith in Christ's finished work can save you from God's wrath. So what are you trusting to save you? The Galatians were considering adding their works onto the finished work of Christ to be saved. Do you hear how foolish that sounds? Are there things that you do that make you feel a little more accepted by God? or a little safer with him? The truth of the gospel says that if we believe that Jesus is the righteous one sent to save us, that we are covered in his righteousness. And because we are covered in his righteousness, we will never know the Father's wrath. How can something like, this might sting, because it stung when I wrote it. How can something like doing devotionals every day or not using certain words, or only listening to Christian radio, or whatever you know, version of good things we do, how can those ever recommend us to God? We can't add onto the work that Jesus has already finished. Okay? We can't add a smile of God bestowed on us by the Father because of Christ by our works. We can't have more than the full acceptance of God we already have it in Christ. Okay? So I want to encourage us. Let's take a minute, and I'll watch the clock. I want to encourage us to spend a minute in confession with the Father right now because we all do this. Let's just be honest. It's our old nature to do things for right standing instead of resting in the standing that's been given to us. So let's take a minute and do that. might find yourself, maybe this first application didn't really hit home for you, so you might find yourself on the other side of things. Maybe you find yourself not trusting that the gospel laid out in God's word is the true gospel. Maybe you don't believe that faith in Jesus is the only way to be saved. And if that's you this morning, you're in good company, because that's exactly where the Apostle Paul was, and that's where a lot of us have been. So, in our passage this week, we saw that God revealed Jesus to Paul, and it was God who caused him to become a servant of Christ. So 
let's pray that God will do the same for you, even today. And if you'd like to talk or pray with me or your discussion leader, we'd be happy to listen to you, and we'd be happy to pray with you if you'd like. So let's close. Father, your um, goodness and your trustworthiness show in the life of Paul. And um, our hearts are fickle and scared. And so we need your Holy Spirit to come and give us courage and to chase away our doubts. We need your spirit to remind us every day what the true gospel is so that we would be able to rest as your children who have been adopted by you, who are beloved by you, who don't need to bring anything to God hoping that he will accept us because he already has because of Christ. Lord, would you help us to cease striving and to be able to rest that your character would be reflected in the way that we live and who we are inside. So I pray that you would take this text, Lord, and let it run its course. Lord, would you accomplish all the purposes that you have for it in each heart this morning? And let us, like the Judean believers, let us glorify you because of what we see you doing in people's lives around us and in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you,